Welcome to today's episode of the Pipeline ACC Podcast. I am Dan Siegel from ACC Content. I'm joined as always by Jason Gibbs. Jason, how are we doing? Dan, we are doing lovely as always. What a beautiful thing March Madness was. What a great tournament. Uh, Hats off to everyone involved for pulling it off and really just a, a great way to kind of wrap up the season. Well, it wasn't quite 2019 just because of the way the championship shaped out, but definitely a great tournament and a great team that won the championship, which we'll talk about in just a second. First, let's go over what we're talking about on the entire podcast today. So, yeah, we'll quickly discuss our takeaways as Baylor was crowned the national championship. Um, Then we will break down my way too early ACC basketball power rankings for next year, not really break them down, just quickly mention them and then we'll talk about kind of the way too early hype some teams are getting around the country next we are joined by liam blutman from no context college football to preview some of the acc prospects in the nfl's draft after that our pipeline spring tour will continue to tallahassee for some florida state talk and finally we will do our first edition of dude what are you serious for football next season so Jam-packed episode today, but let's start with the championship recap. Jason, first thing I'll ask you, if I were to tell you that of Houston versus Baylor, Gonzaga versus UCLA, and Gonzaga versus Baylor, one of these games would be close, which one would you think it would be? Well, uh, you know, I had, I think all the way back to December, I thought Gonzaga and, and Baylor, two best teams in country, and, you know, the, the point spread was four and a half uh, zags. And I told you, I thought it was a little high. I thought it should have been a two and a half, three point range. So that tells you where my mind was. It was going to be a, you know, around a, a one possession game. And it really was anything but. I think we'd probably put UCLA the lowest on the, on the close games and ended up being the, uh, the most exciting game. And uh, probably, uh, and as we alluded to on our last award-winning podcast, probably affected the championship game. That takes nothing away from Baylor because they were definitely deserving. They were definitely – they definitely should have been crowned champion. They played the best throughout the tournament. But you could tell when the game started the Zags were flat. They were kind of emotionally spent. Baylor came out, punched them right in the mouth, and the game was over minutes into the, into the first half. I thought for the first 10 or so minutes, 10 to 15 minutes of the game, you know, Gonzaga is such a great team. They got to make a run. They got to come back. But as the game progressed, it just slowly got more demoralizing for the Zags. And at at halftime, I thought, okay, maybe Gonzaga could make a run. But it was clear that even though it was a 10-point game, Baylor was in full control, and it was like that the entire night. 
Remember how we all thought Gonzaga may run the table and beat everyone by double digits in the tournament? Well, that's exactly what Baylor actually ended up doing. So credit to them. One of the most dominant championship performances I have seen in the sport. And it's crazy how Gonzaga goes down like this. We were all expecting, like you said, a really close game. And the Zags didn't play awfully, but they were certainly seemed gassed from Saturday, that game against UCLA. Baylor brought the energy, they shot the lights out, and the Bears have completed one of the greatest rebuilds in the sport of all time with a 2021 championship. Yeah, hats off to Scott Drew, right? One of the nicest guys in college basketball, just a genuine, uh, heartfelt, real, down-to-earth guy. And you know, even stuff like after the game, he comes over and thanks the reporters for staying in the bubble and covering their sport. I mean, you know, who does that? Oftentimes we see coaches get surly with the media. So, you know, well-deserved for him. He literally brought the Baylor program back from the dead. They were all but going to fold, and, and he brought them all the way back to the, the top of the mountain. You know, just one more note about the game. It You know, this this wasn't the reason they lost, but Baylor came out and, and, and hit a couple, you know, shots early, got a bunch of offense rebounds. And Suggs picked up two bad fouls. One was a terrible charge call, and then two was a ticky-tack. You know, he reached in and shouldn't have. Really changed the game because Suggs was clearly their best player. Kispert kind of disappeared again. I was disappointed in that. I think if he bangs home some threes, maybe it's a little closer. Uh, At least give them a little bit more momentum. But it didn't happen. And, you know, Davion Mitchell and company from the Bears – like you said, shot the lights out and well-deserved. Hats off to them. Sick them bears. When you say reporters that get a little feisty with the media, we're not mentioning any names here, right? I'll plead the fifth. <laughs> yeah. Smartly so. We have some fan bases here that wouldn't want to hear certain things. But we, it's all love on the Pipeline ACC podcast, of course. Anyway, moving on to our way-too-early basketball segment. If you know me, I'm not a big fan of speculating before offseason acquisitions are made, but we're going to go with the trend anyway because that's what we like to do. So I'm going to quickly read off my ACC power rankings for next year. From I'll go from 1 to 15. So they were 1 Florida State, 2 Virginia Tech, 3 Duke, 4 Virginia, 5 Syracuse, 6 Georgia Tech, 7 UNC, 8 Louisville, 9 Notre Dame, 10 Clemson, 11 NC State, 12 Wake, 13 Pittsburgh, 14 Miami, and 15 Boston College. So, um, Jason, when I first posed this to you, what stood out to you the most about these rankings in a good way or a bad way? Yeah, so I I actually agreed with, you know, I could have flip-flopped a couple here and there, but I, I agreed with them. One kind of interesting note, right after the championship game, they released the odds, future odds for next year. Gonzaga obviously had the best odds. Florida State actually had the second best odds. So I found that interesting, especially with guys like Scotty Barnes probably going to the end of the draft. So uh, Raekwon Gray, et cetera. So the the fact that um, they're getting kind of that national love and it makes perfect sense for them to be at top of, of your rankings. I like this Virginia tech team. And we, you know, we've said this before that just 
um, just a really, really well-coached team. They're, they're hard-nosed, kind of that whole Virginia, almost like the football team, the lunch pail mentality. You, you kind of have that in the, in the basketball team, that tenacity. Duke, we expect to have a bounce back year. They're going to roll out Hurt. They're going to roll out my guy, Mark Williams. Huge recruiting class coming in. They do lose some guys to the transfer portal, so we'll see how that goes. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. And, you know, I think I read somewhere there's like 2,000 players in the transfer portal, so this could be it. This will be the most insane offseason of all time. So a team like Syracuse or, or NC State or someone like that that's kind of further down your rankings, they could get a couple of transfers and rocket up the charts. So it's going to be really, really interesting to keep an eye on this. When did it get to 2,000? I mean, that makes sense because there are transfers every day, but I remember thinking it was crazy when it was at like a couple hundred. Wow. Interesting. I mean, that's – I guess if you take like two to three players on every team. Yeah, I think they said they were averaging three players a team. Okay, so that would have uh, to include Division two, Division three, also, I'd assume, because there's only 300-something right. in Division one. But, yeah. Either way, it's crazy. I want to think, like, talk about all the national love. Virginia Tech is getting a little bit top ten in several polls, not just number two in my ACC quote unquote poll. They added a seven foot center today in Michael Durr from South Florida, so they'll roll out a bigger lineup. They return Radford, Aluma, plus Storm Murphy comes into the picture, and an up and coming coach to top it off. The height may be a little bit strong, but it's not undeserved, is it? I don't think so. You know, we, like you said, you know, Hokies, uh, Mike Young won ACC coach of the year, well-deserved. And, you know, I, they did, look, they did bow out in the first round of the NCAA tournament, which was a little disappointing, but they fought to the bitter end. And, you know, they had, they had such, um, such discontinuity, I guess I should say this year, because they were, had so many breaks for COVID. I, like I said, I think they've played, three games in something like 45 days. I mean, just impossible to kind of stay on your edge uh, with that much a break. Next year, we hopefully return to normalcy as a society. And, and it, if Virginia Tech did this with all those interruptions and breaks, what are they going to do when they're, you know, practice regularly? It's going to be interesting. It certainly is. I can't wait to see this Hokie team, not just next year, but the next couple years with Mike Young, Here's another thing that I wanted to bring up, not in the ACC, but I'm seeing all these way too early polls. And the consensus is that UCLA is a top one, top two team in the country next year. And I think that makes a lot of sense. If Johnny J comes back, they return him, who is one of the best guards in the country, as well as an entire starting lineup of double digit scorers. This is while it seems that all these other teams, like you have mentioned, are being depleted due to departures to the transfer portal or the NBA draft or whatnot while UCLA holds on to everybody. But do you think that maybe we're going a little bit too far declaring UCLA the preseason national champion? Or is it precedented? Or is it deserved, I should say? Yeah, so, I mean, people love the the uh, the knee-jerk reactions, right? They always want to be the first one to pick the next big thing. 
So that's oftentimes why you get these type of predictions. Should they be higher ranked than they were this year? Should they be ranked? Sure. Uh, of course, like you said, assuming Johnny J comes back. Number two, no. No. I mean, you just play – you play. You had a, a heck of a run to go through the tournament and you played Gonzaga to the wire. Great. But starting out the year is number two. You need that's that's too much. And I would imagine their performance would would suffer early on because they would go from basically it's it's fine to play in anonymity. It's fine to play as an 11th seed where no one there's no expectations. You go from that immediately baptized into the number two team in the country. Nah, I think that's a little much. Well, we're going to do and I presume some old takes exposed episode in the future where we will expose some of our good and bad takes so hopefully this doesn't end up in the bad column but we'll see anyway that does it for our um basketball segment next we're going to bring on liam blutman from uh from no context college football to talk some acc prospects in the giraffe jason are you ready to bring him on love it great follow everybody out there go follow him please all right here he comes so we are now joined by Liam Blutman from No Context College Football. Liam, basketball season is over. How's the shift in mindset over to football going? Uh, it's a bit bittersweet, kind of sad, especially with how the college basketball season ended as a UCLA fan and uh, a Gonzaga fan essentially the entire season. So that was that was tough, basically losing back-to-back heartbreaking games. Uh, NFL draft though in a few weeks so time to get ready for that and then eventually college football no I think that I mean yeah this is like the worst time of the season because it's like yeah. months the worst time of the regular calendar year because there's like six months of no basketball no football but we do have the NFL draft coming up later this month like you said and that's why we brought you on so you know, let's look at the top 10 of the NFL draft for starters. We obviously have Trevor Lawrence going number one, but you look at the other prospects in the ACC, like the Miami edge rushers, Rousseau and Phillips, you know, Caleb Farley, Christian Darisaw. Do you see any of them going in the top 10, both in terms of how things will play out and how things should play out? So like Caleb Farley, obviously cut up. And then the back injuries and all that stuff kind of just are moving him down. But it's his teammate, Christian Dersaw. I think he has the most intrigue as a top 10 pick. I don't think he will go top 10, but if there's like another guy in the conference I'm taking top 10, it's going to be him. Uh, he's not somebody I'm letting fall past 13, uh, 13, 14, 15. You've got an elite run blocker um with really good footwork he's a bully nasty pole blocker he's going to be able to play right away and impact the game in the run uh run game and then as the years go on he'll become a better pass blocker and i think he'll be a really good uh offensive lineman whether he's playing tackle or guard liam what do you make of the quarterback rankings? Uh, obviously, you know, as we mentioned, Lawrence is going to go number one, but outside of Lawrence, there's vastly different opinions. How would you rank the top five or so? And do you see a later round sleeper QB option kind of like Russell Wilson? 
Yeah, um, the quarterback rankings across the board are quite something right now. <laughs> uh, like, I've been campaigning for Wilson all year, and then it's just funny how I now view him as overrated. His expectations are just out of this world now. Like, they, I don't know. I'm now, I've now cooled off of somebody I was so high on, so that's pretty unfortunate. But I go with Lawrence at one. I think clear cut, far and away the best. One of the best uh, QB prospects we've ever seen. Wish him luck in Jacksonville and hope Urban Meyer doesn't uh, bring back QB power. Uh, at two, I have Justin Fields. I'm pretty confident in that. And then my three is Zach Wilson. The four is Trey Lance. And the five is Mac Jones. And then my sleeper is Shane Bouchel from SMU and formerly Texas. Oh, man. Hmm. Good stuff. Um, which ACC running back has the highest upside? Javante Williams, Travis Etienne, Michael Carter, or Khalil Herbert? Yeah, it's Etienne for me. Uh, he's just – He's just the kind of running back I love. A sprinter speed, he's super explosive, really good acceleration, great burst. He's a true uh, home run hitter. What do you average? Like seven yards a carry uh, at Clemson. Um, yeah, he's lethal in the open field, a much tougher runner than he's perceived to be. It's like lightning in a bottle. I think he'll have a really good. Uh, like prime at running back. And I think he'll make a fan base really, really happy. I think I'm going to, I agree with that because ETN is definitely the most modern running back in the class in terms of how he will thrive in today's NFL. Um, Javante Williams might be the best pure runner, but to be a running back in today's NFL, you need to be a lot more than just a pure runner. That's why I agree with you on that ETN pick. I know it's pretty basic, pretty standard, but that's probably the truth, but moving on to yeah. Syracuse actually, because you know, they won one game last year. Well, why are we talking about that? <laughs> well, they have three defensive backs. They're expected to be taken, believe it or not. Andre Cisco, if Melifonwu, and Trill Williams. So I will give a little bit of love to the orange. I'm going to ask you this, which one do you like the most of those three DBs at the NFL level? So I'm pretty sure the the common choice here is Melifonwu, correct? He's like nope. the uh, the highest regard. I actually thought Cisco was, but is it Melifonwu Cisco? Would be more of the you know the super galaxy brain analyst pick, but you tell me. Okay, well, yeah, I like Cisco the most. I thought it was a little contrarian, but I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love his playmaking ability and then just in a like elite closing speed, incredible range. And then with his fantastic ball coverage skills, you've got a bone rattling hitter. I think he's a great pick on day two. Now, every year there is a guy that gets taken in the first few rounds out of absolutely nowhere. You know, day day two pick that we just you know we we heard of before we watched them in college but we just did not expect them to have any business going in round two round three do you think there's a guy from the ACC that could be that guy this year I think I wouldn't be surprised if like Hunter Long went late three from Boston College 
Uh, I like because he's got an all-around skill set tight end, and he's a really nice blocker. And to me, he just screams a guy that's going to play uh, tight end in this league for years to come, whether he's the tight end one on team or tight end two. I could really see him making a living in this league for a, a good bit. Speaking of later round draft picks, give me a day three pick from the ACC that the fans of the team that drafts this player will end up being thrilled with him on the field. What Offense and defense, if you got it. Okay, so like looking the late sixth round, seventh round, I'm eyeing JV on Hawkins from Louisville as, as a potential impact running back for a team. I could see him carving out a role as a backup fairly early. Like I'm looking at personally, I'm looking at New Orleans as a potential landing spot where he could get some run behind uh, Kamara every now and then and Latavius Murray, obviously. Like uh, like ETN, he's got home run hang speed, really good acceleration. He could he could uh, run and catch. It's the kind of running back I love and somebody that I'm always down to invest like draft capital into. He is smaller though, but it's it's okay. And then hmm. on the defensive end, um, I like Charles Snowden from UVA. Uh, That's a great six, pick. Yeah. six foot six lengthy reach uh, outside linebacker that, that could drop down in coverage, cover tight ends. He's got good burst on the line. Pretty explosive. I think he's got, there's a spot for him on like any team in the league. And that's a pretty easy round, uh, like five, six, seven investment for me. Hmm. Good stuff. Look, which of the flying Surratt brothers? Chaz or Sage will end up with the better NFL career. Gotta go with Chaz. He's you've got a <laughs> former quarterback that's really turning into a very quality linebacker, um, playing essentially quarterback of the defense. He's athletic, he's tough, he's got good range, uh great closing speed, pretty violent, and he's still learning the position, continues to get better. Um, my guy, Eric at home, he, he raves about Chaz's intensity and he says that you would never guess in a million years that this guy played quarterback and he's right. Like he does not look like a guy that played quarterback at all. <laughs> no, but I think the quarterback, him playing quarterback helped him because he now could Definitely. think like a quarterback that helps a lot for the type of linebacker role that he plays. So. It almost completely I know he, agree with you. Yeah, I know he's a little bit raw now, but you know, once he develops even more, that will really help him being able to think from a defensive standpoint and an offensive standpoint. That's really helpful. But um, yeah, before we let you go, why don't you plug something for us? We like to do this with uh, the guests that we have on. I know you have a lot of things going on with football and basketball, so tell me something that the ACC audience would like and should check out. Yeah, so my Twitter is at Blutman27, B-L-U-T-M-A-N-2-7. I post uh, college football, college basketball, NHL too. Like I post a lot of different stuff about sports, and I mainly write about college basketball, college football, and uh, the NFL draft. And I'm hoping to push out more content in the next few months, whatever, and like 
help make an impact and help all these players um, get more recognition that they deserve, especially at the mid-major level in college basketball. That's why I like doing most. Don't forget to follow no Co- no context college football too. That's that's a great that's a great handle. Yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> great great stuff too. We all love that account. But as far as the mid major stuff you do, it's great stuff to get these players recognition. We um, all appreciate it from the kinds of things that we try to do with our podcast and our account, and you are kind of have the same role. So we appreciate it. Thank you for coming on the podcast and. Uh, have a good night. So once again, great stuff from Liam. Um, next, we're going to continue our spring tour into Tallahassee and talk some Florida State Seminoles stuff. Obviously, it was another disappointing year last year for Florida State, besides that win over UNC, which somehow happened despite at the very end a couple of bad drops. I thought it wasn't going to hold up but they besides that win anyway over unc they didn't achieve much going three and six obviously it is year two for nike norvell and things are starting to look a bit promising but as we look uh forward this offseason jason what storyline are you looking uh for most when it comes to florida state well, we think back to last year, and last year was kind of a weird year for everyone, right? There was the COVID issue, empty stadiums, uh, conference-only games, so kind of strange. Florida State kind of snake-bitten early. Mike Norvell had a COVID-related situation. He missed a couple games. really, And so with a new coach, you never really got that continuity. They did have the win over UNC, as you mentioned. But other than that, pretty disappointing. So this year, we're, we're going to get need to get a little bit of continuity, need to get a little bit of, you know, building on each day. So that's that's kind of what I'm looking for, you know, from the head coach perspective, Mike Norvell. And they bring in Mackenzie Milton, right? So can they the, – the quarterback uh, situation has been kind of uncertain in Florida State for a while. Now you bring in a guy who – while he was he was proven while he was playing, but obviously had that terrible knee injury when he was with UCF. So can Mackenzie Milton build some continuity? Can he kind of get his feet back on? Can he be the player that he was before that horrific injury? So that's obviously, you know, top, top storyline. If Mackenzie Milton is half the player that he was, then that would be an upgrade from what Florida State has had at quarterback in the last couple of years. So there's that, but yeah, I definitely think it's the passing game for me as the main storyline, specifically, like you said, the quarterback situation, Mackenzie Milton transfer from Central Florida, who was a phenom before the injury, and you know, he'll likely be less than full, fully healthy after the injury, but if like the ACC has a ton of great quarterbacks, and he could be another one of them just if he's most of what he used to be they also have a very good and deep receiving core and the running backs look good as long as the offensive line could hold up but yeah the question for me is moving the ball downfield playmaking quarterback a dynamic element that uh, Forest State could add similar to what Miami did their rival in state last year but speaking of which their rival Miami 
also added a lot of transfers last year, like D.R. King, um, Jalen Phillips, Gregory Rousseau, et cetera. And I think that's a big storyline for Florida State this offseason as well. Obviously, we mentioned Milton, but they add wide receivers, D.J. Williams and Andrew Parchment, defensive line, Kyer Thomas, Jamie Robinson, and a couple of DBs. I think Florida State could benefit from the portal this year in a similar sense than what Miami did last year. Yeah, I mean, in their secondary, they get uh, Brandon Moore from UCLA, or UCLA, UCF, excuse me, uh, South Carolina transfer, Jamie Robinson. Their secondary is going to be a question too, right? They're, they lose Asante Samuel Jr., um, leaving some big holes, you know, in, in, the, in the secondary. Can guys like Jarvis Brownlee, DeMori Tate, Akeem Dent, can they kind of step up? Can the defensive line get some pressure so that those guys don't have to hold up for, you know, 10 seconds on end? So that's definitely going to be, you know, a, a major storyline on the defensive side of the ball. Just get some consistency. Because remember, Florida State, a lot of schools do stuff like this, you know, but they kind of claimed DBU for a while. And that really couldn't be applied to them as of late. So can they kind of wrestle that moniker back? This time last year, I actually thought Florida State would have a very good defensive backfield. Obviously, it didn't turn out that way. But here we are looking at them again another season, and I think I'm not going to go overboard with the hype, but I think we should see some improvement in that department. How about looking at the team from a whole, though? Where do you see the team finishing in the Atlantic? I mean, like it could – you know my take. You know, there's obviously Clemson. We talked about how much I like Boston College. Do you think that they could finish middle of the pack? Do you think they could finish second right behind Clemson? Or do you think they're another – another year near the bottom. Yeah, for me, I'm going with, there's a lot of uncertainty and I'm going to say they're going to finish toward the bottom. I think Florida state fans should sort of lower their expectations. We don't know what McKenzie Milton is going to be. Remember he almost lost his leg. He almost had to have an amputate. So we're talking about a major, major injury been out of football for years at this point going on multiple years so you can't just think he's going to just step back in and and win the Heisman like Jameis Winston or something like that so there's that there's Norvell this I know last year was his first year but I kind of consider this his first year this is going to be his first normal year how about that if you take a look at their schedule though I just see a lot of losses on the schedule they open up with Notre Dame uh, they're going to North Carolina, to Clemson. They have NC State. We've talked about them uh, on, on the last podcast. Miami at home, to Boston College, and to Florida. That's a tall order for a team that's kind of rebuilding and putting together, you know, trying to feel some uncertainty. So if I'm a Florida State fan, I lower my expectations. Just let me get some consistency. Let me get some improvement. Maybe pick up a surprise victory here and there and start, you know, using this season as a building block to the future. I'm sort of on the same page as you. I don't see them being one of the top teams in the conference, but I'm a little bit more optimistic, cautiously optimistic about them. 
I think six to seven wins with this roster is very doable. I like Mike Norvell as a coach, but like I said, I don't see them getting to the top challenging Clemson in the same sense of even other teams in the conference, but I also don't see them falling to another below 500 season, maybe five and seven, but I think if the over under was at six, I may consider taking the over for Florida state this year. But um, that that's it for our trip to Tallahassee. It was short, but it was, I mean, it was well spent. We like to do these little segments for each of the spring teams, at least that are televised on the ACC network. We'll go based off that schedule and then we'll kind of fill in the rest later, but we're going to do one of our favorite segments next. Dude, what are you serious? Jason, are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> Dude. What? Boston College will finish with the third most wins in the conference next year. Are you serious? I am. Obviously, there's Clemson at number one. Presumably, UNC will be number two but I see the Eagles possibly getting to that nine win mark. We talked about their talented, well-rounded roster, but keep in mind their out of conference opponents are Missouri temple, UMass and Colgate and other teams at the top, like Miami have to play Alabama. So I think it's very possible that Boston college will finish with the third most wins, overall wins, not conference wins necessarily, but overall wins in the ACC next year. Wow. It's a big statement, man. Dude. What? Josh Downs for UNC will finish as the ACC's number one receiver. Are you serious? I am serious. Let me tell you why. Obviously, we know the hype with Sam Howell. He's going to be a Heisman contender quarterback. Going to have a little bit of uncertainty with DJU at Clemson, possibly. UNC loses Daz Newsom. They lose Diami Brown. Perfect opportunity for Downs to step in, be the number one receiver on the number one quarterback in the ACC that loves to pass Josh Downs, number one receiver in the ACC. I think you're a little far-fetched, but – it's definitely possible. You bring up some good points. Dude. What's up? The Coastal will win nine or more of the 14 interdivision conference games against the Atlantic next year. Are you serious? I think I am. I know I just said I like Boston College, so this kind of contradicts it a little bit. But I think there are six teams that show some sort of – promise in the coastal division all right first off let's just cancel out duke and syracuse because they're just the bottom feeders of both divisions they will you know we we, we could take them as pretty much automatic losses in the vast majority of their games but i'll take teams like georgia tech and Pitt over wake forest and louisville if i'm being honest so that's kind of why i'm thinking that the coastal you know, they, they don't have the Clemson, but we'll win nine or more of the 14 interdivision games against the Atlantic next year. Big stuff right there, man. Dude. What? 
Miami cornerback Al Blades will have a great year and be a first-round NFL draft pick. Are you serious? Not only am I serious, I'm going to say he puts up better numbers than Caleb Farley did at Virginia Tech. Here is my reasoning. Now, last year, he had the myocarditis scare. Yes, that's well documented. So assuming he comes back healthy, obviously, all, all that, that's always the assumption. But they have new DB coach, Travaris Robinson. So they're going to put an emphasis in, on, on the DB's position, just like Miami used to with all their other great DBs. And as a sophomore, he was one of the best corners in the entire country, including had a lower passer rating when targeted than Mr. Farley. So Miami gets back to that. Al Blades comes back healthy and is a first-round pick next year. You know, do that with me, but Keetro Clark from Louisville. But I, I kind of feel the same way. I think about Clark at least. But, yeah, Al Blades, I and mean, that's kind of out there, but maybe you'll seem like a genius when we bring this back <laughs> several months later we'll see i'm always a genius and if, if i'm not i just delete the delete the tape what you're listening to is our best product we just handpick what we put out nah but in all seriousness <laughs> that, that's what we like to do here. batting a thousand exactly but yeah in all seriousness we're, we're here to have fun we know we're not always right but we try to give our most intelligent takes um we put them forward and you know, we're able to make fun of ourselves when we're wrong. I think that's what it's really about. But anyway, I appreciate you guys listening. Thank you to Liam for his great segment on the NFL draft and the ACC prospects. Hope you guys enjoyed this jam-packed episode, and we'll see you next time on the Pipeline ACC podcast.